Good morning. Good morning. My name is Doug Holcomb. I'm the senior pastor here at Live Oak. And this summer, we're reading somebody else's mail. Uh, some of the books of the New Testament, uh, 13 of them were written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote letters, oftentimes to churches, but occasionally to an individual. And these letters have been forwarded on to us. They were included in the Bible because they were so important that God is listening, uh, or God, Paul was listening to God asking him, what is it you want me to say to them? And he listened to that, and he sent it in this letter to these people, either churches or individuals, and then it got forwarded on to us. And Paul wrote this letter to a guy named Timothy. And his letter has been forwarded on to us, but we're not reading to hear what Timothy needs to grow his faith, to increase his impact to help him finish the race well, and develop a finish line faith. It's for on to us because we have a role to play. We have influence. We have a faith that can be grown and make a difference and make an impact. The world doesn't need another Timothy. It doesn't need another Paul. It needs you and your unique contribution to what God is doing in the world and Philip was talking there about the Global Leadership Summit. We are such a big believer in that. We participated in it for years, uh, for about six or seven years. We hosted it, outgrew us here, the simulcast location, so we've moved it off, off site, but we're still involved. There is no other leadership event that has impacted me or this church more than the Global Leadership Summit. And that's not the main reason I'm such a big believer in it. I'm a big believer in it because after it's done here in August, it goes global all over the world, in almost every country you can think of, it's there. Cuba. My kids are from the Democratic Republic of Congo. It shows up there. Numerous sites in Nigeria. It's in the Middle East. It's in Asia. It's, and, and the thing is, if we didn't participate in the GLS here, another leadership event would roll into town, and we could grow as leaders. That's not true in Cuba. That's not true in the Democratic Republic of Congo. There's just something about that event that God has used around the world. And, and the reason I love it is leadership matters. And if you're going to run the unique race that God has carved out for you, and he has carved out a unique race for you to run in life, your job is to figure out what does it look like to run that race from here to the finish line? And how do I develop this finish line faith that moves me from here to there? Because eventually in your race, you're going to run against something that needs to be influenced by you, but you're not quite developed yet to be the person that's needed to influence that. You're going to run into something that's bigger than you are, and you need the faith to persevere and keep going. And Paul tells that to Timothy. And he says, I'm finishing my race. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell. And this was a very bad situation. He'd been in a prison cell before. And it wasn't because he had done something that broke the law in terms of something that was immoral. He followed Jesus and he brought others with him. He was hugely influential. In the Roman Empire, that was a crime. And so occasionally Paul would be under house arrest There'd be a guard there, but he was pretty, had a lot of freedom. This time, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. It's the second one he wrote. That's why he's called 2 Timothy. It's not to Timothy Jr. It's to the same guy, but it's the second letter he wrote him. But this time, it's the last letter Paul would write. 
Shortly after this letter that, we've, that we're studying this summer, shortly after Paul finishes writing it, one day a guard came up and showed up at his cell. And he escorted him out to the edge of town in Rome where executions happened. And Paul became one of those who was executed by Rome, by the Emperor Nero, and one of those people who died for their faith but he died with this finish line faith. He finished his race well. And now he's handing the baton to Timothy and saying, Timothy, now it's your turn. And he tells him, this is how you run your race, how you figure out your race, how you finish the race well, how you follow Jesus and bring others with you. And as Paul writes to Timothy, we're reading their mail, but it's our mail too. It's been forwarded on to us and we have the opportunity for the apostle Paul to mentor, coach, and disciple us, just like he did Timothy, if you will let God do that in your life. And so we're looking at this, if you have a Bible, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'll share my verses on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we could help find you one, or you can find one online through the YouVersion Bible app, or actually through the Live Oak app, it'll link you to a Bible. But in 2 Timothy 1.6, we're picking up six statements in to the letter. We started it last week. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for this reason, anytime you see something like this when you're reading the Bible, for this reason, therefore, or it says because, anything that says that, something happened right before that that's important, that informs what he's about to say. So if you back up one verse, this is what we talked about last week, in verse five, here's the reason. Paul's reason for what he's about to say is because he was reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. The word sincere faith, it's antipocritos. It means sincere, authentic, unmasked. But he doesn't come in to me. He just said, Timothy, you're a really sincere guy. He says, you have a sincere faith. It's authentic. It's real. You're not playing a part. You're being who God called you to be, who he's creating you to be, who he's transforming you to be. You're being you, of who God's called you to be. But God's the one who's informing that. It's your faith in him, not your faith in yourself. It's sincerity in Christ, not sincerity in self. And he says, because you have this sincere faith that was basically handed on to him from his mom and his grandmother, he says this in verse six. For this reason, because you have a sincere faith, I remind you, If you want to be someone who influences others, whatever you have to say that's of any importance, you're going to have to remind. Paul told Timothy things, and then he reminded him. He coached him. He mentored him. He discipled him along the way and said, hey, remember I told you about this? Remember, it's important. If you want to be influential, you're probably going to have to say something that might be even hard. And you'll probably have to say it more than once. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. This phrase, fan into flame, he says, Timothy, there's something in you. I want you to have more than a sincere faith. I want you to have an impactful faith. I want your faith to be contagious. I want your faith to make a difference, not just in you, but in the lives of others. And the way that, one of the ways that's gonna happen is God has given you a gift. He's given you a gift. The Greek word is the word charisma. 
It's this unmerited gifting that God has given him something. And whatever God has given you, and he's given you something, if you've given your life to Christ, he's given his life not just for you at the cross, he gives his life to you through his Holy Spirit. You have the living God living in you. When you're in Christ, he is in you. And he wants to live his life in you and through you. And when you give your life to him, he gives you this gifting, the gift of God. And whatever God has given you, he's given that not for you, but to influence others. I remember I was an only child. It's not a shocker if you know me. But I was an only child growing up, so I never had the shared present on any occasion, except maybe at Christmas where it was like, here's a Holcomb family gift, and it was like a fruitcake, and it's like, thanks, and, you know, I just moved on to anything that had Doug on the tag. Uh, but I remember the first time when Jennifer and I were getting married, we had our first wedding shower, and Jennifer opened something, and there were two things I remember about that. One is I heard her say, look what we got. I never heard that before. We? No, it's what... I got it's that's usually how gifting works is they had something they gave it to me it's mine she says no it's what look what we got if you've been giving given a spiritual gift of any kind and if you're a follower of Jesus you have been when you discover what it is what we need to say what you need to say is look what we got because it's not just yours God gave it to you to impact others. The other thing I learned um, when that happened is I, I can't remember what it was. It'd make the story so much better. I remember she said, look what we got. And I looked at it and I go, I have no idea what that is. But thank you. And I don't know if it was some kind of weird cooking thing or bowl set or china. And I was like, I'm sure we'll have a need for that at some point. I just kind of honestly think what, what it will be, and I'm not exactly sure what that is. And for some of us, the thing that's keeping us from having more impact than God has called you to have is you don't know what he's gifted you with. He, you don't know what he's given you. Timothy apparently did, because he doesn't spend a lot of time explaining this. Remember, this was a letter to an individual that he had previous relationship with, so he doesn't explain a lot of things. But in other places, he does spend more time talking about the gift, but he uses this analogy of fan into flame. In Timothy's day, fires were a big deal. They still are in our day, but ours are more appliance-based. I don't need to start a fire in the morning to cook or to get my coffee going. I've got a Keurig that does that. And I've got a Pop-Tart that does the breakfast piece. Like, I've, I've got it covered. I don't need fire. I don't need fire because it's all an appliance, toaster, oven, whatever. In Timothy's day, fires were huge. Warmth, cooking. Sometimes they used it for drying things out, preserving things. It played a key role. And somebody in the house, they were responsible to start the fire every day. And either that person or somebody else, they had a responsibility to fan into flame, to keep it going all day long. Because you didn't want the fire to go out because then you have to do all that work to restart it. And there's several things I've learned about fires. I've learned it some from a, a friend, friends who are firemen, fire marshals, or people who just um, <laughs> like fire. That's, I, don't, I don't even know what that phrase means. I don't know any pyromaniacs. 
that I know of. But anyway, people who are fire people professionally, they say several things. One, never turn your back on a fire. Never assume it's gone out. Even when you think it's gone out, there's still something in there that the wind can somehow whip up and it can turn into a huge blaze. Never assume the fire's gone out. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today. It feels like your pilot light for your faith has gone out. If God's involved, it won't go out. And never underestimate the impact of your faith, even when it's just a small flicker. Fan it into flame. The other thing about a a fire is a small spark can actually make a big difference. But the fire needs to be tended to. One year, I, again, it sounds weird, I really got into fire over the Christmas holidays. Somebody had gifted us some firewood, and so we started putting wood in the fireplace and got the fire going, and I thought, I want to see how long I can keep it going. And so I I went to Home, Home Depot or Lowe's, uh, there's no corporate sponsorship here. It's just that's just the truth of the story. I went there and and I was looking at fire stuff because I needed a, a bucket for ashes, and and I started looking at all the fire tools and I came across this thing, and it's this idea. Like if, I feel like they had it in the old days. Did anyone have one of these in their house? A few of you do. Like it's one of those things. Like it's like it helps me be lazy, so I don't have to blow on it. You know, I, I, can, I can do it, but I don't have to exert any energy besides this. That's easy. And so I bought this thing, and I was amazed at how just a little bit of focused air like that would all of a sudden, what looked like it was out, would all of a sudden just blaze up. And somebody in Timothy's day was responsible to do this, but they didn't have this. But they had something they were using to tend the flame. So Paul uses this imagery to help Timothy understand something. Paul effectively said, Timothy, you have a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. And I commissioned you to use them. Remember, I called them out in you. I saw that you were made to make a difference and I saw what God was gonna use to do that, how he uniquely gifted you. And I commissioned you to go do that. So you could be a useful tool in God's hands. But I also commissioned you to heat it up, to take that spark and develop it and grow it till it goes into a roaring blaze. In other words, smoldering embers don't make much of an impact. You need to have a roaring bonfire to step into all that God's made you to do and be. And the question I want to ask you today is, how has God gifted you, and what does it look like for you to tend the flame, to fan into flame what God has done in you? That's the action step. Know what God has gifted you with, and then fan it into flame. Let every day of your life be trying to develop it more and more as you partner with God as he works in you and through you. So for some people, Paul, excuse me, Timothy probably knew the idea of what this gift of God was. He probably had something specific in mind. Paul doesn't tell us what Timothy's gifts were, nor does he tell us what ours are. But he talks about this idea of spiritual gifts several times in the Bible. Paul does in his letters. Romans chapter 12, he does that. He says this, For by the the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Notice in all these passages, the last one, this one, and others, we have a very generous, giving God. I mean, everything we have is from him. But he gives us these gifts. 
And he gives us himself. He gives us everything. God is in this giving business. It's who he is. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, what he doesn't say here is think of yourself in a lowly way. You matter to God. You're valuable. He created you. He died for you. He wants to redeem your life. He wants to pour into your life, not just gifts and resources, but himself. You matter. But don't start ranking who matters and who doesn't. There's there's no ranking list. People matter. You matter. You have value. So what he's not saying here is think of yourself in a lowly way. Value yourself and value others. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Like look in the mirror and be honest about who you are and where you are in your journey. And do this in accordance with the faith, again, God has distributed to each of you. God's very generous. How you think of yourself matters. And God has distributed things in your life that will change your life. And if you let it, whatever he's given you, and if you let him, he will use you to impact others. Verse four, he says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, arms, legs, all that kind of stuff, and these members do not all have the same function. My ear has a different function than my foot, right? We get how the body works. Just as that, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, so if you're in Christ, this is true of you, we, though we many, form one body, we're connected, and each member belongs to all the others. We are connected. I need you and you need me, we need each other to do what God wants us to do. When he says go make a difference in the world, it's not all on you. We're in this together, but it's not all on us. It's really all on him. We just need to follow him and find our identity in him and rest in his strength and his generosity of all the things he wants to give us. But one of the things he says here is they do not all have the same function. So that means for us, we need to know our function. And here's the truth about every single one of you. You are different. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor, look him in the eye and say, you are different. Some of you said that with a little more inflection than it really is necessary, but that's fine. Here's the good news why that's different. Here's why that's important. Here's why you need to know that you are different. Your difference makes a difference. Your difference is your unique contribution to the what we got, to what our impact can be. Your contribution is unique and specific as God designed it for you to contribute to what God's doing. He goes on in verse six to say, we have different gifts. Remember he said, fan into flame the gift. He goes, we have different gifts. We're different. And these different gifts are according to the grace given to each of us. God designed it this way. And I've described it this way before. Uh, It's kind of like the idea between chess and checkers. Checkers, all the pieces move the same way. They're all the same. All pieces are the same. In checkers. In chess, it's different. Every piece is unique. You've got the pawn and the castle thingy and the pony 
and the pointy hat guy, and the queen and the king. <laughs> I've told a story before. I, I tried to learn chess, and it didn't go so well. Um, but I'm fascinated with it. I actually I told a story. I went to New York City one time and went to Bryant Park, and they were doing lessons. And I showed up, and it was all kids and me. And I was like, gosh, this is creepy. Uh, so I leave, and the guy said, no, no, sit down. And the instructor said, I'll play with you. I was like, that's not good for me. I don't I want to play one of the kids. I want to play with the one that's not very good. And I played the guy, and he just, he just demolished me. I didn't understand what I was doing. And so we played again, but he kind of, every now and then, I'd reach for a piece, and he'd go, uh, uh, uh. I, okay. So I'd reach for the other one, like the pony guy. What's that called? What's the knight? Rook? Bishop. Thank you. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. And, and so, like, uh, 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 he would say, uh, 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 and he would kind of coach me as I went. He still beat me, like, first time he beat me in eight moves. The next time he was, like, in ten. It's like, well, thanks for the help, coach, you know, and it's great. But the thing about each of these pieces, pieces, they each have a different function. But the thing is, they all have to work together. It's not like, how am I going to use this one piece to take down the king or to checkmate? They all have to work together. And the other thing is every piece, like the, the pawn can only, initially it moves two spaces, but after that, it can only move one. But other pieces, they can move different angles, different things, all the way across the board. They have different things. The thing is, even the pawn can take down the king. Even the pawn can take down the king. They all have a different purpose. They all have to work together, but any piece can take down the king. Any piece can checkmate the game. Feels like we're in the hole of a ship right now with the wind. <laughs> and what I learned from my coach that day, who was not very good, I think he enjoyed beating me, um, is any piece can take down the king, but not any piece in my hands can do that. But any piece in someone who's a master chess player, any piece in the hands of the master can do amazing things. And Paul says, you're a unique piece of what God's doing in the world. You have a different function. We have to work together. But even peace, even if you think your contribution is a small part, your peace can be a game changer. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Your difference makes a difference. Don't try to be somebody else. Be the peace that God created you to be in the game and work together and submit to him and he can use you for amazing things. And then in this passage, he actually goes on and says, here's an example of some of the gifts. He goes on to say, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. William Barclay, a Bible um, teacher, says this, that can mean foretelling or foretelling. Hey, can you, uh, should be on... Uh, does, it go, does that verse go on? I guess it does not. A slide is missing. All right, I'll read it to you. How novel is that? A non-screen telling of a story. Uh, prophesying can mean foretelling, like I can see something, God's given me insight to what's about to happen, or foretelling, speaking a hard truth to somebody. Speaking a hard truth from God to somebody. That's a hard gift. It's powerful. And if you that's your gift, do it in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. 
If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's the thing. For some of those, that's your gift. Or it might not have been mentioned there. This is not an exhaustive list. Because elsewhere, Paul talks about some gifts. Some of these are mentioned. Some of them aren't. Some different ones are mentioned. But if those are your gifts, if it's mercy, leadership, teaching, encouragement, giving, like if it's one of those gifts, you might hear that list and go, well, I don't have the gift of giving. I'm off the hook. I don't have the gift of serving. I don't have to serve. We're all called to do those things. We're all called to serve. We're all called to give. We're all called to encourage. We're all called to give mercy. But some of you have this gifting that allows you to do it in a way that impacts much bigger, much more than I could without that gift. And whatever your gift is, it's needed. There are these three times where Paul lists out some spiritual gifts. You could read those passages and see what it says. But I want to tell you that the the number one way I've learned how to figure out what your gift is. You could go online and there's spiritual gifts assessments and things like that, and they're helpful. But for me, this has been the most helpful thing. If you want to know how you're gifted, first, just kind of start out and say, I want to know my gift. And ask prayerfully, who gave you that spiritual gift? God did. So ask him, God, would you give me wisdom and insight to understand how you've uniquely gifted me? What's my contribution to the body, to the team? Ask him for that. And then, when you know your gift, use it and develop it. Here's one of the things I've learned. The best way to know your gift is actually to kind of say, I think it might be this, and then actually use it. Gifts are best known and developed through actually using them. So here's an analogy that stuck with me one time. Imagine you're going uh, to a swimming pool and you're standing at the diving board and you think, okay, I know what my spiritual gift is. I think it's mercy. So you get on the diving board and you jump in and you start using the mercy, your mercy gift to try and be merciful to people who require a lot of mercy. And it doesn't go so well. (laughs) I guess mercy's not my gift. A lot of times what we do at that point is we think, man, I thought I was gifted at this, but it just didn't go so well. So we climb out the the steps, we go out of the pool, we sit in the chair, and we just stop swimming around the pool. We just give up. If you've tried to use something that you thought was a spiritual gift and say, I want to make a unique contribution, and you jumped in to use that, and it didn't go well, it was a belly flop. It didn't even feel like that, it felt like you dove into the pool, but you hit the, hit the concrete on the side. Like, it could, it was, that was painful for everybody involved. Well, get out of the pool. Don't sit in the chair and just take, you know, take it easy. Take another stab at it. Don't try it once and then sit out the, the pool the rest of your life. Try again until you find it and then develop your gift. And the best thing that helped me figure out how God uniquely wired me was not an online assessment, but it was people. It was people in my life that saw me trying to make a difference in the lives of others on behalf of Jesus, for the cause of Jesus. And so the, ne- the other thing you could do is this. Next slide. Use your gifts with others. If you're in a small group, if you serve on a team, if you have people that are around you and see you using what you think might be your spiritual gift, they'll have great insight. 
In fact, for me, the first way I figured out I had the gift of wisdom. Man, there's all kinds of distractions today. For a guy with ADD, this is killing me. I'm like, what's going on over there? What's going on over here? What's going on back there? Someone tell me if I need to be concerned about anything. The best way I learned and discovered my gift was wisdom because I'm not a smart person. I can show you my transcripts. I am not a smart... Like, you know, we just expand... Uh, June 6th was Normandy anniversary and D-Day. I called D-Day anytime report cards came out. Like, D-Day, like I was lucky to pass a class. Uh, I am not smart. But what I realized is that in Christ, God's given me some wisdom that I can look at problems and find godly solutions to it. It's hard, but some people call that out in me. I'm an introvert who does not like being in front of people. And then somebody said, Doug, I think you may have a gift of teaching because you can take complex topics and make it practical and applicable and you can be very authentic with that. And I was like, well, that's what I want to be, but I don't think I'm very good at it. Someone called that out early in me. And I'm grateful for that. And then when they called something out, I jump in the pool, I try and use it. I ask people to help me grow in it. I most of all ask God to help me. But sometimes using your gifts with others is the thing that helps you understand your gifting. Have you ever thought of going to somebody and saying, how do you think God may have made me unique, gifted me to make a contribution to what God's doing in the world? Have you asked people that know you well that question? Because I think that's the best people to ask. Ask them. Because in, in the end, again, we all function together. We're a team. And together is better than alone. That's true in so many areas, but together is better than alone. And again, when you have a gift, it's not just your gift, it's look what we got. And we got to figure out how we put these all together to make a difference. Gifts are discovered and developed best in action, not in a classroom. And others is important too because you need to help others do that, help others find and use their gifts. Help us each other see, let's help each other see how we're gifted and unique and then how that fits together and rely on each other and lean on each other and our uniquenesses. That's why community matters. So Paul tells Timothy this thing, hey, remember, I want to remind you, you have a sincere faith and because of that, God's given you this gift. Apparently they already had a conversation, Timothy knew what it was. He said, I need you to fan that into flame. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire just sit there, kind of barely having a little coals. Get it into a roaring blaze and make a difference and make an impact. And then Paul tells us what might have been the thing that kept Timothy from doing that. The thing that might have kept Timothy from doing a lot. He gives us a hint to maybe why Paul said, I need to write this letter before. I think I, this is my last one. I'm about to end my race. My life's about to end. And he calls something out in Timothy. And he says this in verse seven. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Timothy and timid. They're closely related. Not necessarily in the name, but this was a theme for him. In the first letter he wrote him, he said, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Timothy was a young leader trying to lead up people who are older. He was trying to lead when people were saying, uh, we don't trust you. He might have been getting heat because Paul was in prison. 
He might have been catching heat because a lot of people were abandoning Paul because they didn't want to target on their backs. There was a lot of stuff going on. But for whatever reason, Paul sent to say, hey, Timothy, God doesn't make you timid. That's not from God. If you ever feel timid about stepping to something God has called you to do, that's not from God. God does not make you timid. But that might be where you are. But what is from God is this. Power, love, and self-discipline. That word self-discipline is kind of a little bit misleading because it's not self-discipline. It's godly-powered self-discipline. It's the ability to keep doing what's right consistently through God's empowering. Loving in a way that's beyond what you are normally capable of, but what God empowers. Power that's not from how strong you are, but how strong he is. He said, that's who God makes you to be. And in all this, he said, Timothy, don't be timid. He doesn't say just have more power, show more love, be more self-disciplined. He reminds him, for the spirit God gave us, all of this is because we have God, not just on our side, but in our lives, if we've given our lives to him, he gives his life to us. And we'll continue this idea of being timid next week. But you need to know the same spirit that God gave Timothy, if you're a follower of Jesus, he gave it to you. Same one. Not a different one. Not Holy Spirit light. Not Holy Spirit junior. The same God that empowered Timothy, the same God that empowered Paul, is the same God that wants to empower you and help you push past being timid, to develop discipline, love, and power in your life that you fan into flame whatever God's given you, and he's given you more than you think. And it matters more than you know that you keep growing and developing a sincere faith and an impactful faith because you have a part to play that no one else could play. Even Paul couldn't play that role. Even Timothy couldn't play that role. You can because God created you and saved you to make a difference in the lives of others. What is it that you need to fan into flame? And how will you do that this week? Let's stand for closing prayer. Hey, I want to thank uh, those of you who served at Lubbock Impact this week. We do a camp uh, for Lubbock Impact and the kids involved there. Uh, Lubbock Impact serves the homeless and the working poor in our city through a Wednesday night meal and Bible studies and uh, clothes closet, dental, health, uh, or, or doctor, things like that, vision. Um, we, we've done this for years. Uh, Jenna Norman and Jared McCauley kind of helped lead up the impact there, our, our efforts there. Uh, a lot of kids were impacted this week. Uh, thanks for those who serve. And if you ever give to Live Oak, part of your funding helps for us to go invest in Lubbock Impact and, and a camp like this. So thank you for your partnership in that. Um, I, I think it means something when you show up in the lives of others to try and represent Jesus and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So thank you for doing that. God, you've given us, each one of us, a unique role, but sometimes it's hard to figure out what that is. And I don't think it's hard because you try to make it confusing. I think it's hard because there are so many voices in our head and in our lives and in the world with so many messages. God, I pray that we would set our frequency, tune in, lean in, focus in on your voice. If you gave us the gift, you know what it is. Give us wisdom and clarity to understand what it is and how do we develop it and how do we deploy it? How do we use it? God, thank you for the amazing gifting that's in this room that can make a difference.
in the world. And God, you didn't call us to be a missionary to Rome like Paul or to Ephesus like Timothy. You called us to be your influence and impact in whatever family you placed us in, wherever we show up on a Monday morning, wherever we are in normal everyday life, that's our place to have an impactful faith. Help us develop a roaring blaze of everything you've given us. Thanks for the gifting in this room and use it for your good purposes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.